thank you, team, for bringing us that great song. Let's sing it one more time. Boom. There we go. There we go. Wow. Hey, that song is from a movie called The Greatest Showman, and uh, it has played 100 million times on YouTube since December the 20th when that movie came out. And I think they actually were showing that movie and they were having sing-alongs. So you could come and watch the movie and sing through the entire movie. And I'm so glad some of y'all did not go to that. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> but it's just been kind of a funny thing. Uh, that song, This Is Me, is a celebration of the treasure and the beautiful uniqueness of every person, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how hard your life may have been, no matter how painful your past may have been. And that song echoes a theme that literally runs all the way through the Bible. The human beings are God's masterpiece. We have been created by an amazing God in his image. And so his dream for us is that we in our lives would just, we, 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 would, we would see ourselves this way and we would live as a beautiful representation of his image in our world. Now, as we continue our series on relationships uh, that we're calling This Is Us, we need to acknowledge that there's a group of people who always don't necessarily find themselves at church feeling like they are living out God's dream for their lives. And they don't always love these relationship series, especially when the messages are, are focused so much on marriage and parenting and, and all that. Anybody want to guess what group of folks that might be? Single people. Single people. Thank you. Uh, in fact, single people are not always celebrated, not just in the church, but in our culture. I mean, when is the last time you heard of anybody giving away an all-expensive paid free vacation for one? <laughs> you, you ever heard of that? Doesn't happen in our culture, which is kind of strange because according to my research, and you're not going to believe this, but all the surveys show that 100% of us will be single for at least part of our lives. 100%. And the truth is that all of us are going to live a significant portion of our lives as single people you know, this past week, Sarah and I were down in Florida celebrating our 36th wedding anniversary. Ah, I love that girl. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Talk about a great choice, right? I mean, I, I was I married so far over my head, I'm proud of it. But when we celebrate our 36th anniversary, that means that I've been married to her for 60% of my life, which means I was single for 40% of my life. Now, I'd sign up for that married thing a million times again. I mean, she's just awesome. But the truth is, 40% of my life I was single, and I love that part of my life too, most of the time. Now, friends, not all of us are going to marry. Not all of us even want to marry. But listen, of all the adults in our church, we will all live a significant part of our lives as single people. And I pray that being single will never cause anybody at Compassion Christian to ever think that in God's eyes you are less than or unworthy in any way. Uh, as that song said, single is a glorious way to live in the mind of God. And that's important because many of us who are married today are going to be single again. We're going to be single again because of the death of a spouse or a divorce. I'm praying that Sarah will die before I will because we are so close. Whoever gets left is going to have a tough time. And so I'm praying that she'll pass away four days before I do. <laughs> and then I'll die a violent snowboarding death on my 80th birthday. That's my prayer right there, okay? <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm praying. I mean, wide open all the way to the end, right? Uh, but the truth is, some of us are going to go through that. Some of us are going to go through divorce. 
And so some of us who are married right now are going to be single again. So today, I hope we can look at God's Word and affirm all the single people here today and celebrate the value that single people add to our church. But first of all, what I want us to do is I want us to embrace the prevalence uh, of being single. In the last survey that we took of our church family, 36% of the adults in our church family were single. 55% of the people who live in the Savannah metro area are single. 63% of the adults that live in the Statesboro area are single. Friends, over half of the people who visit our church every week are single. That's a big demographic. And I think it would be a mistake for us to think that all these single people are the same. So let's look in the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about it. Turn with me to the book of Ruth. Ruth is on page 222 in your Bible. If you've got your own Bible with you and you can't find it, it's because you've never read it before. Look for the pages that are stuck together. That's where Ruth is, all right? Uh, you know, it's Joshua Judges Ruth. It's right in the uh, first few books of the Old Testament. And we'll just see what the Bible has to say about the different kinds of single people uh, that there are in our church and in our world and how God feels about all of them and how different the lives of unmarried people can be from each other. Uh, and so while you're finding that place, let me introduce you to the main characters in the book of Ruth. The first is Naomi, and Naomi is an older widow. Uh, years earlier, Naomi had moved with her husband uh, from their home in Bethlehem, which is where all their people were, and they moved to the country of Moab. Uh, there they had two sons who grew up in Moab, married Moabite girls. Uh, unfortunately, tragedy struck that family. N Naomi's husband suddenly died. Then unbelievably, about the same time, both of her sons died as well. And so it left three widows in that family. You can imagine the kind of grief that no Naomi experienced as she walked through that, that, that trial. Now, the next character in the story we meet is a woman named Ruth. And Ruth is a young, single widow with no children. Uh, she was one of Naomi's daughter-in-laws. The third pe person that we find focused on in this story is a guy named Boaz. Now, Boaz is a single, middle-aged, successful, unmarried man, all right? Now, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz remind us of how many different kinds of single people there are, and they all have different needs, and we all have different opportunities to, to serve them. The first, uh, like Boaz, are single people who have never married. Some of them have never married because they're too young. Uh, they just don't want to, they're not interested yet. Uh, some of them have never married because they're disillusioned by the people that they have dated. Uh, some have never married because they're turned off by the example of their parents. They came from such a toxic family that they just thought, wow, not for me. Some people who are unmarried desperately want to be married, but the right opportunity hasn't arrived, and they have too much character to compromise. They're picky. Everybody say picky. Everybody say glad you are. <laughs> you know, when Sarah and I were in Poland uh, last year, one of our partners over there, a Polish woman, told us about a city in Europe where they actually have department stores for single people where you can buy a husband, right? Now, when you walk up to the front door of the store, there's a sign that outlines the department store's policy. First rule states you can only enter the store once in your lifetime. Uh, number two, there are six floors, and on each floor you can choose a husband or you can elect to move on to the next floor and see if you can get a better deal. And once you visit a floor, you can only visit it once, and then you have to leave the building. Uh, that's the only way you can go back to another floor. So this woman visits the first floor, and she sees a sign that says, men with jobs. She's like, that's good. That's a good thing. But she's hoping for a better deal, so she moves to the second floor, and it says, men with jobs who adore children. And she thinks, man, this is getting better. Goes to the third floor, wealthy men that adore children and are very handsome. And she thinks to herself, man, this is a good deal, but man, what was on the fourth floor? She goes to the next floor, wealthy men that adore children and are very handsome who will help with household chores. 
And she is amazed at how this thing just keeps getting better and better. So she goes, <coughs> excuse me, to the fifth floor, and the sign says, wealthy men that adore children and are very handsome and help with household chores and are very romantic. And, man, she's about to make her purchase, but she just can't resist going to the sea. There's got to be a better deal even than that. This is amazing. So she goes to the sixth floor, and there's a sign that says, you are visitor number 31,456,012 on this floor. There are no men here. This floor exists only as proof that it is impossible to please some women. <laughs> Y'all got the bulletproof glass going up, guys? <laughs> now, across the street from that store is another store where guys can get a wife. And on the first floor, it says, women who are great cooks. On the second floor, it says, beautiful women who are great cooks. On the third floor, it says, beautiful women who are great cooks who are very physically affectionate. And no man has ever visited the fourth floor. <laughs> I know I never been beyond that. Now, it would be nice if finding somebody to marry was that simple, wouldn't it? But we all know it's not. And listen, the truth is that many folks who have never married have never married because they have chosen to be single right now. And let me tell you, some people make that choice for a lifetime. Anybody know in the Bible who made that choice? Jesus, John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, three of the greatest players in the history of the world chose to live life single. And it is a noble choice that we ought to respect. And friends, one way to respect that choice, especially if you're married, is don't ask single people dumb questions and don't say dumb stuff. First rule of a healthy church is don't say dumb stuff. Amen? Like, for example, why aren't you married? That's a dumb question because it sounds like, why aren't you normal? And friends, single is normal. At least it was for Jesus and Paul and John the Baptist and several of the pastors on our staff. Don't ask people, why aren't you dating somebody? If you ask them, are you dating somebody? And they say, no, what's your next line? Uh, uh, I'm coming to you. Uh, sorry. Uh, you ask a stupid question, there's no follow-up for that. Don't ask that question, right? Here's another question. You, uh, another thing to say to a single person. You'll get married someday. Don't say that. You don't know that. You don't even know if they want to be married. You don't know what their future holds. You don't know. They may never find somebody sharp enough for them to marry. And don't tell them, you know, being single is a gift because you don't know if it's something they've chosen or if there's a lot of pain involved in this or them. It may be a gift they don't want. You don't know. So can we just be careful to make sure that the single people in our life group, the single people in our church, the single people in our community know that we love them, we respect them, we want them in our life group, and this church is a safe environment that treasures single people. Amen? Amen. Now, some people are single because of divorce. We had a pastor on our staff, went through a divorce a few years ago. His wife cheated on him. The marriage failed because of her unfaithfulness, and we stood by that guy because he had certainly not been perfect, but he had not been unfaithful to his wife. And like him, many of you know firsthand that divorce is devastating. I mean, it turns your world upside down. Now, divorce is certainly not the unpardonable sin, even if you're the one who caused it. But it does create some really awkward adjustments that you have to face afterwards. I mean, how do you relate? How do you hang out with your old married friends once you go through that hurricane? Uh, how do you get through the grief, the anger, the emotional and the financial adjustments. And I think Ruth, in this story, though she was a young widow, I think she experienced many of those same adjustments that folks who've gone through divorce have to face. The third group in the story is uh, like uh, Naomi and Ruth, many singles are widows or widowers. 
Uh, like them, some of you have buried the one person you could never imagine living without. And I'm telling you, that is one of the most difficult adjustments in life. You know what it's like to accidentally set one too many places at the table and then cry about that. You know what it's like to be sitting in your chair, looking at a door that your loved one is not going to walk through at 6.30 ever again. And that's hard. And there are people sitting with us on all of our campuses today who are going through that grief right now. But here's the point. We have lots of unmarried people in our church who have lots of diverse needs. So as a church, we want to encourage people who are facing the challenges of being single. Now, Naomi decided after her husband's death that the best thing for her to do is to move back to Bethlehem, back to her hometown, back where all of her people are. And so she told her daughter-in-laws in Ruth chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, you need to go back, each of you, to your mother's home. Man, I love you. May the Lord grant to each of you that you will find rest in the home of another husband. Now, Naomi was basically saying, you girls do not need the extra baggage of a mother-in-law. Man, in this culture and the way it's working in the world, at this point in time, what you need is a husband, so you need to go back home. Now, Naomi knew that they were going to face some big challenges if they remained single. And here's the first, loneliness. <clears throat> My friend Gene Apple is another pastor whose wife cheated on him and left him dealing with an unwanted divorce. And his church in Las Vegas stood by him as well because he'd been faithful to his wife. She just wasn't faithful to him. And he tells the story of his first Christmas after his divorce. They had a candlelight Christmas Eve service at the church and he wanted to grab something at a drive-thru and eat it at home and pack, do some laundry and you know, pack for an early morning flight back to the Midwest so he could spend Christmas Day with his family. He got away from the church about 9.30 on Christmas Eve, starving. And he starts driving around all over Las Vegas on this unusually cold and windy night and found nothing was open. And so he thought, I'll just go by the grocery store and I'll stop at the deli. They're all open 24 hours a day. Got to this grocery store, closed. He couldn't believe it. I mean, the city that never sleeps was quiet. So he's driving around and he begins to picture everybody in their homes celebrating Christmas Eve with their families except for him. <clears throat> and now he's starting to get discouraged. And he's hungry. And he's alone. And it's Christmas Eve. And there was nothing to eat in his house, and he was determined to find something. So he headed out to Sam's Town, which is a casino. And to his surprise, when he got there, that place was hopping, man. And so he goes into a 50-style diner alone at a table for four and orders the Blue Plate Special. <laughs> he said it was like a nightmare. And he said, you know, I just spoke for 2,200 people at my church. And here I am at Sam's Town on Christmas Eve eating meatloaf and mashed potatoes and gravy alone. And when he couldn't think, just didn't think it would get any worse, somebody put a quarter in the jukebox and Elvis began to sing, Are You Lonesome Tonight? <laughs> Your sympathy is really touching. I appreciate that. <clears throat> Gene said he literally started laughing to keep from crying. But for a few moments that night, he dealt with the loneliest feelings he'd ever felt in his life. And as he processed it, he thought, you know, Gene, here you are, one of the most blessed guys in the world. I mean, you got a church that loves you. you got more close friends than anybody should legally be allowed to have. You're flying home in the morning to be with over 20 family members of your family for Christmas. And if you, of all people, can experience this kind of depth of loneliness, man, imagine how tough life must be for people who don't have all those relationships. And friends, that's one reason why we have so many holiday events here at Compassion Christian. And that's why we push so hard to get everybody to be a part of one of our life groups. 
Man, you know, every holiday I hear people from our life groups talk about some single person, some college student, some soldier that they've invited to come and spend the holiday as part of our family. And every time I hear that, I just think, man, way to go. Well, you know, after Naomi asked her daughter-in-laws to go back home, one of them, named Orpha, returned to Moab. The other daughter-in-law, Ruth, insisted on staying with Naomi and accompanying her back to Bethlehem. Now, Ruth made a statement to Naomi at that moment in the story that you've heard before. If you've been to many weddings, you've heard this passage of Scripture. And it's a, a beautiful statement that husbands and wives often make to each other in wedding ceremonies. But initially, this is what Ruth told her mother-in-law. She said, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me. Now, friends, that is a statement of amazing commitment. Now, remarkably, Ruth is stepping up to another one of the challenges of being single when she makes this decision, and that's a real positive uh, challenge, and it's the opportunity that singleness provides. Man, being single provides amazing opportunities. Now, I like Ruth. I mean, you read this book, and you can read it like that. This is a fierce, godly woman. Now, I don't think Ruth was glad to be single again, but she did see being single as a positive challenge and an opportunity for kind of an adventure for her. Man, Ruth didn't just lock herself in the room and wallow in self-pity. No, man, she's looking for that next adventure in her life, and she starts taking some noble risks. Now, here's the truth. Being single often allows people the freedom to grab opportunities that would be irresponsible if they were married. Now, we have an elder at our church named Rick Monroe, and, and Rick was single until he was in his 40s. But I'm telling you, that guy served the Lord Jesus with a, a level of intensity and consistency that I thought was amazing. He was a young life leader in this community for years. He's teaching three young life clubs uh, uh, every week, a different night of the week. Man, he would set up these picture shows for people when they get married and just do it as a gift of love. That guy was going like this all the time. And if he was married, he would not have had the time or the ability to take advantage of those opportunities. You know, you, when you're single, you can travel more because you only have to pay for yourself. You're not responsible for a spouse or for kids. You could take multiple short-term mission trips every year. Three years from now, you could have a set of friends on different continents around the world because you took time to travel because you had the opportunity to do that. <clears throat> I have a friend who had a single daughter who went to Haiti for a year-long internship. And they put her to work as a midwife. And she called her home one day and she said, Dad, you are not going to believe what happened to me today. He said, what was it, baby, what? She said, I was delivering this baby and we were in this hut with a dirt floor and this witch doctor came in while the baby was being delivered and the witch doctor starts chanting all this voodoo stuff over the baby. It was weird. And he said, baby, what did you do? She said, well, I ain't giving that kid up to some witch doctor. I mean, that's a Christian baby. He, that's a part of our ministry there. So I just started singing as loud as I could. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns in heaven and earth in wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. I just drowned him out. And he left. And Mike said, baby, I am so proud of you. Now you get to that airport tomorrow morning and you come home right now. <laughs> now she didn't do that. And today she is married to a pastor in California and they have a great ministry together in a great church. And you know what? She does not have the freedom to go to Haiti and serve as a midwife for a year in this season of her life. But taking that adventure, grabbing that opportunity 
is going to shape her heart in a, in a powerful way for the rest of her life. Now, she leveraged the opportunity of being a single follower of Jesus in a way that blessed that ministry and blessed that baby and blessed that family and blessed her. Now, once Ruth and Naomi arrive back in Bethlehem, Ruth, Ruth goes to work. I mean, she goes out in the fields and she begins to pick up the grain that's left behind by the farmers, which was a Jewish custom to, to take care of the poor. They provided for poor people, but they didn't give anything to poor people. You had to go get it yourself, right? And this brings us to the third challenge of being single, and that is your career and your finances. Now, man, when Ruth became single again, she had to go to work because nobody else is going to be supporting her. Man, she was determined to find a career that would provide for her financial needs and enable her to, to provide for her mother-in-law. And again, man, there's a freedom for some unmarried people to pursue the fullest extent of their career. Man, they can study nonstop. They can work late. They can take jobs where they have to travel with a lot of frequency. However, for many single parents and for a lot of single people on fixed income, man, providing financially today is a challenge. And you know what Ruth did? She got a job. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't a glamorous job. It wasn't even a lucrative job. But you've got to respect her for starting somewhere and going to work. Man, she had to put food on the table for her mother-in-law and for herself, and she did. And I just I have a lot of respect for her for doing that. Now, before long, we see Ruth facing a fourth challenge for single people, and that is dating. <clears throat> now, for some of you singles, you know, dating, just a natural part of your life. You love it. You're comfortable with it. You've got it, man. For others of us... <laughs> Man, you find yourself single again, and the thought of dating is really awkward. Uh, I'll never forget talking to an older friend of mine and him telling me about dating again after his first wife died. He said it was so uncomfortable for him, and I couldn't believe it. This was the most gregarious, outgoing, never meet it. Hugh Coulter, you remember Hugh? This guy was off-the-chart personality. He said it was so awkward, I didn't know whether to hold her hand or not. He said it was just awkward. Well, Ruth goes to work in the fields, and she catches somebody's eye. She catches the eye of the third main character in our story, Boaz, who's the owner of that farm and the owner of that field. And Boaz asks the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? What family is she a part of? Where does she come from? Is she from our people? I mean, who, who is she connected to? The actual Hebrew translation of this sentence is, have mercy. Where did she come from? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's not the exact translation, but when you get to heaven, you'll see. That's what he was talking about, all right? Now, you, he's like, who's, who's this girl? She just showed up, man. Where'd she come from? She caught his eye. Now, listen, Boaz was a great guy. He had amazing character. He had a strong work ethic. He was successful in his work. He had integrity. Man, he loves God. You read through this story. This, this guy's stout. Now, he has never been married, but when he sees Ruth, <laughs> He starts thinking about it. He wants to know if she's available. Now, some of y'all are asking, where can I meet a guy like that? Where can I meet a gal like that? And friends, that is a great question. Because you read this story, and here's what you learn about Boaz. I doubt that he would have ever met Ruth at a bar at Spanky's or Rocks on the Roof or Alibi. All right? I ask our youth pastors where all the bars were. That's what, it, that's what you know, the guys would know. You're dragging your kids out of there. That's what it is, all right? But I'm just saying... I don't think that Boaz would have met Ruth at one of them joints on the other side of the Talmadge Bridge. I don't think that's where you go looking for a godly woman. And that's not where a godly woman goes looking for a godly man. Can I have amen? amen. You look at Ruth chapter 2 and you'll see what impresses a good man like this. 
Boaz says, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. She's got a reputation. People talk about her. That's a noble woman who is doing noble things and word is out. I heard about how you left your father and mother in your hometown and you came here to Bethlehem to live with a people that you did not know before. This woman's got character. She's got courage. She's strong. May the Lord repay you for what you have done, Ruth. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have now come to take refuge. This woman's got a spiritual edge to her. She's got spiritual integrity. She, she's beautiful on the inside and on the outside. Now, single people, hear this. Ruth made no attempt to seduce Boaz. And if she had, it would have backfired. Because you can't seduce a godly man. You try to seduce a godly man, he won't marry you. He'll pray for you. If you can seduce him, he ain't a godly man. Can I get an amen? Come on now. Ruth took care of God's business, and God took care of Ruth's business. Now, when she least expected it, wasn't even looking for it, in an unlikely place, God brings this incredible guy in her life. Now, I have a niece who's getting married in June, and she is 33 years old. And she is marrying a guy who is 47 years old. And neither one of them have ever been married before. He is a handsome guy. She is a beautiful girl. And he is the luckiest Dutchman in the world to get to marry a girl in my family. Can I just tell you right now? But they were introduced to each other by a friend from church. They're not bar prowling, looking for somebody there. They were taking care of God's business. God taking care of their business. They waited a long time for each other. And they're going to be really glad they did. Now, just to make a long story short, Boaz befriended Ruth, and he really likes her. And then when the mother-in-law, you know, found out about this, she went to matchmaking, right? And so here's what she tells Ruth. Now, look, I know where Boaz is going to be tonight because it's harvest time, and he's going to be down at the threshing floor, and that's, that's where he's going to be. So here's what you need to do. Ruth, you need to wash up. Put on some perfume, get your prettiest clothes on, get yourself looking nice, and then you go down to the barn where he's working, and after he eats, he's going to get sleepy, and he's going to lay down and go to sleep. And when he does, you go and lay down at his feet, and he'll tell you what to do next. Now, when y'all hear that, you think, what? <laughs> do what? <laughs> go lay at the brother's feet? Seriously? Now, listen, this is a Jewish, ancient Jewish culture. Everything in this story is hyper-symbolic. This is a symbolic way for Ruth to present herself as an available person, somebody who could get married, somebody who wants to get married. Uh, it's, a, it's a subtle, well, not so subtle, but anyway, it's a way that she could let Boaz know that she, if he's interested in her, she's interested in him. Gutsy move, but totally appropriate in that culture. She did what her mother-in-law told her to do. And one of the great rules in getting married to the right person is do what your mama tells you. Amen? I'm just saying, okay? Now, listen to what happens next. Look at verse 8. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman's redeemer. Now, if you don't know what a kinsman redeemer is, you need to study the book of Ruth, and if you're just too lazy to do that, you need to take my wife's class on it. Sarah teaches on the book of Ruth every year, and it is an awesome class, and you would learn a ton from it. But this is a big Jewish, you know, keeping everybody in the family kind of, kind of thing that's going on. And then he says, Lord, bless you, my daughter, he replies. The kindness, this kindness, this fact that you would show affection to me, an older man, is greater than that which you showed earlier. You, could, you have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. 
all my fellow towns will know that you are a woman of noble character. Now, if you've never read the book of Ruth, you need to go home and read it today. This is a great story. It reminds me of the woman who died, and she was so distraught that she had inscribed on her husband's tombstone, the light of my life has gone out. And then five years later, she fell in love again and married another guy, and she wasn't sure what to do about that tombstone. So she went back and had engraved under that line, but I struck a new match. <laughs> now, Ruth struck a new match, and she and Boaz became husband and wife. Now, I think this is a really practical story for single people because everybody in this story chose to make God's will a priority when they were single. As single people, they made God's will a priority for their lives. Now, there are several life applications that we just need to embrace if we're going to optimize the time that we get to spend as a single person and set ourselves up uh, to be blessed by God in the future. Now, the first principle is specifically for those of you who are divorced or you've experienced the death of a mate. Be patient. Everybody say patient. Be patient. After a divorce or after a death, counselors say it takes two years for your emotions to settle down and become stable again. And friends, that is the truth. That is real. One of the most common mistakes people make after a death or a divorce is they just feel this panic to get involved with somebody else. And I've been rejected, and so I need somebody to love me, and so I'm just going to jump into another relationship, jump into another marriage. And friends, it almost always ends in disaster. But let me tell you, that's what a lot of people do when they're hurting, don't they? They'll try anything to make that pain go away. But marrying somebody doesn't make pain go away. It doesn't work like that. Nobody can heal that hurt but the Lord Jesus. And he'll only heal it if you let him heal it. You keep stacking stuff in the way of what he's trying to do, and that pain just goes on and on and on and on. Man, I want to encourage you to wait until you are healthy and whole so that you can make a good decision. And then, man, if there are any other Future relationships, you will come to that relationship as a healed person rather than a broken person. And one guy said when he went through his divorce, I chose not to date at all for the first year because I knew I was so emotionally unstable I would be vulnerable to the wrong kind of relationship. That is a wise man. That's a wise man. Dating and remarriage will not cure your grief. So be patient. Let yourself grieve through all those changes, through, through that hardship. Grieve until you're healed. In addition, I would encourage you to be content. Everybody say content. Friends, listen, if you're not content as a single person, chances are you're not going to be content as a married person either. Now, you know that. And you also know that there's one thing worse than being single and wishing you were married. Is being married and wishing you were single. Right? The myth is that if I change my status, somehow that will deliver contentment to me. But friends, marital status doesn't produce contentment. I just want to be frank with you. The reason many of us sense a lack of fulfillment in our lives, married or unmarried, is that we've got holes in our life that you can't fill with human companionship. Listen, you've got needs that can only be filled by a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The Apostle Paul, a single man, said that's what filled the void in his life. He said, man, I have learned the secret of contentment in every situation. I can do everything through him, through the Lord Jesus, who gives me strength. Now, friends, Jesus can give us strength for any challenge because that single man was tempted in every way just as you are. He was tempted to feel sorry for himself. He faced sexual temptation. 
He found out what it's like to be betrayed by somebody that you counted on. He knew how to be completely content, even though he was not married. Now, friends, when Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, he meant that. There's a, there's a contentment of soul that you can get from Jesus that you can't get from any other relationship. I mean, tell me what friend, what spouse, what boyfriend, what girlfriend can meet the deepest need of your soul. Nobody can do that. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ to have those needs met and to find deep, real contentment. And then if you go on to date and you go on to contemplate marriage, you can do that as a satisfied person, not as a desperate person. All right, now third, and man, this is such an important principle when you're single, and you're probably not going to hear this anywhere in the city except for right here. You need to continue or recommit to be sexually pure. Everybody say, sexually pure. Okay, say it like it's not something nasty. Say it like this is a good thing. Y'all ready? Here we go. <laughs> Sexually pure. Now listen, you know what impre impresses me about Boaz? Here is a wealthy, single, middle-aged man who is sexually pure. And I mean, you read chapter 4 and you will see that he and Ruth had no sexual relationship until after they were married. You know why? Because sexual purity until marriage is the clear call of God and the wisest way to do life. Friends, it's the call of God for everybody. It's the only way to choose a spouse wisely. I mean, surely you've watched enough train wrecks in your circle of friends to know that you cannot be objective about somebody you're sleeping with. You can't make a good decision about that. It's impossible. You've already invested too much. Ruth was a widow and a beautiful woman who had had an active sex life. And yet there was no sex between she and Boaz until marriage. You know what kind of woman that is? Tough, godly, holy, strong, wise, uncompromising, tough. That's the kind of woman we all want to be. Not me. I want to be a guy like that. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Con listen, no sex between Ruth and Boaz until marriage. Consequently, their mind stayed clear their heart stayed pure. Their prayers were being answered. God's blessing stayed strong in their life. Friends, God, sexual purity is God's will for single people. The Bible says this directly five times, 23 times indirectly, that single people are to abstain from sex until marriage. Now, Dr. Henry Cloud has, written, has an amazing chapter in his book, uh, Making Dating Work, Boundaries in Dating, which should be required reading for every single person and for every parent who has a student who is about to start dating. Now, I know it's tough, and I know our culture is so sexualized, and I know all the rationalizations. Oh, Cam, you don't understand. The temptations are so great today. Really? You think the temptation is greater today than it was during the Roman Empire? Really? The most pornographic, sexualized culture in the history of the world? You think it's worse today? Well, we're going to get married anyway. Okay, well, you can sin because marriage is on the horizon. Really? Kim, you can expect to control your passions when you're 35, 40 years old. Kim, if we stop the sex, he might leave, and I'd rather live in sin than live alone. My friend, any man or woman who would leave you because you will not compromise your faith to capitulate to his sexual desire or her sexual desire, any person who would do that is a loser. They're a loser. Or at least they're thinking like one. Dump them. 
You know what the Greek word for that is? Dump them. All right? You can do better. Dude, alone would be better. And if you'd rather dishonor God than leverage the single years of your life with integrity, <laughs> don't blame him for the misery that your disobedience is going to bring on yourself. He's tried to warn you off, not because he wants to rob you, but because he wants to bless you. Sexual purity is God's will for you. It's his, his protection. It's that firewall against marrying the wrong person. And I know it's difficult to maintain sexual purity when you're not married, but it ain't impossible, friends. I know lots of people who do right here in this church. And I want to encourage those of you who have maintained your sexual purity, way to go. Way to go. For those of you who haven't, I want to encourage you to repent. I want to encourage you to drive a stake in the ground today. Make a commitment today. I am going to remain sexually pure until I marry, if I marry, and God will be honored and you will be blessed. Finally, I want to encourage you to be cautious. Friends, marriage is serious business, man, and it should not be entered into lightly or quickly or frivolously. Man, some of y'all feel pressure to get married because people keep asking, man, why hasn't a great person like you ever married? <laughs> One Christian psychologist tells about a woman who had that asked of her so many times, she just came up with a classic response. Whenever somebody would ask her that dumb question, she'd say, well, I've just never met a man deserving of the happiness that I could deliver for him. And that kind of shut him up. Don't let people pressure you on this. Don't let your emotions, your fears pressure you. This is too important to rush. You know, what I love about Ruth and Naomi and Boaz is that they leveraged the single season of their life in a God-honoring way. Boaz, just like C.S. Lewis, just like one of my professors in seminary, was a single man until, uh, until most of his adult life was done. And then God brings this amazing, godly, wonderful woman into his life. And, and it was worth the wait. Ruth, who was married, and then her marriage was cut short when she was young. She got another opportunity. God provided her with a great and godly man because she was a great and godly woman. Naomi remained single for the rest of her life, but she experienced the joy and contentment and fulfillment and the happiness as a grandmother. She was the great-grandmother of King David. And she experienced all that joy, even though she was unmarried. Now, friends, the good news for single people today is that you can experience that joy as well. And that's why you need the Lord Jesus. He is the one who can give us the kind of fulfillment that no husband, no wife ever will. He's the one who can help us start over when we failed. He's the one who can comfort us when our heart is broken. He's the one who can show us how to prevail, whether we are single or married or whatever. Friends, every single person in this story was blessed by God because they chose to honor God. And if you make that choice, he'll bless you too. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time you've given us to be together. We thank you, Lord, for the story. We're thankful for the way you honor single people in the church and in the kingdom. Lord, we think about all these folks that you used in such amazing ways, Jesus and Paul and, and John the Baptist and Esther and Ruth and just on and on and on and on the list goes of noble, godly people that we are still talking about 5,000 years later because of their nobility of spirit, because of their integrity of soul. And I pray, God, that you will rise, or just raise up in us a desire to have that same kind of integrity. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit empower us with that same strength. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus, Lord. Amen.